Confusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we move your brain with the pressure of weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this episode, we take a deep dive underground into whether the increase in the number of devastating earthquakes and volcanoes has been caused by climate change. First, here's news of spirit in space. Australian Spirit in space. This month, the Spirit nanosatellite designed by a team from the University of Melbourne will launch from the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California on SpaceX's Transporter 9 rocket with an Australian Neumann Space Plasma Drive on board. The Space Industry Responsive Intelligent Thermal Nanosatellite is a shoebox-sized package weighing 11.5 kilograms. The project is a joint industry mission led by the University of Melbourne and supported by the Australian Space Agency. This will be the first Australian research satellite launch since the Federation satellite launch in 2002. That's over 20 years. Spirit was first booked for launch in April 2023 with the Dutch launching company Isospace, which would package the nanosatellite up with other items to be launched and then deliver it to Cape Canaveral in Florida. For some unexplained reason, this has been moved to November 2023 to be launched from California. After launching, Spirit will undergo four months of testing and commissioning before starting its main missions. Spirit is built on the Apogee satellite bus from Innovor, the first Australian-made turnkey satellite platform. Apogee features power, telemetry, attitude control and spacecraft command and control systems in a modular structure. Spirit will carry the Italian space agency's Hermes X-ray detector, which will be used to search for black holes by locating the high-energy gamma-ray bursts linked to them. These gamma-ray bursts result from powerful cosmic explosions, which result from the death of stars and sometimes the collision between stars. For a brief moment, gamma-ray bursts emit more energy than an entire galaxy. The University of Melbourne also has three innovations on board Spirit. An instrument temperature control system, an autonomous low-latency communications module, and a payload management system. Spirit comes equipped with a Neumann Drive, the lightweight, high-efficiency solar electric plasma propulsion system, which allows the satellite to move around in space. The Neumann Drive uses solid metal as a fuel source and is scalable up to larger spacecraft. The drive works by zapping a rod of metal with a high current. The electric jolt vaporises a tiny amount of the metal, which generates a plasma, which is an electrically charged gas, that creates thrust. By using solid metal as fuel, the technology avoids the need to take dangerous propellant gas into space. For future projects, Neumann Space is working towards capturing metal space junk in orbit to refuel the system, 
while cleaning up near Earth. Following the launch into orbit, Spirit will first undergo commissioning of the satellite platform and all its payloads, followed by 20 months of main mission operations, spending at least two years in space. Once Spirit is launched, Nova Systems will give ground segment support from its Autonomous Intelligent Ground Station System near Petersburg in South Australia. In South Australia. All of the Australian companies involved in the Spirit project are having their technologies tested in space for the first time. After all the project missions are over, the team will evaluate whether they can start a new phase to see how long everything can be kept going after the expected lifetime of the satellite, or else they will start removing the satellite from its orbit so it can safely burn up in the atmosphere without contributing to orbiting space junk. As if the wildfires and wild weather caused by climate change weren't bad enough, we seem to be also getting many more severe earthquakes and eruptions than we ever used to. Is it just an unfortunate coincidence? Earthquakes are when two pieces of the Earth, better known as tectonic plates, are slipping past one another, and it causes an uncontrolled shaking of the surroundings. The area below the Earth where these plates slip is known as fault planes, or the fault line, which is where most earthquakes are likely to occur. When the two pieces of Earth move, the energy creates seismic waves that act much like a ripple effect in a pond. A volcanic eruption is when gas and or lava are released from a volcano, sometimes explosively. It turns out that climate change can affect both earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Some of the causes are the changed distribution of water from rising rainfall rates and glacial melting. A warmer atmosphere can retain more water vapour, leading to higher levels of precipitation. The practice of injecting water into the ground for mining fossil fuels and for disposing of wastewater can also directly cause earthquakes, as can carbon capture and storage projects. Research showing that the climate could affect earthquakes comes with a paper in 2008 showing that huge downpours of rain can trigger earthquakes in landscapes riddled with caves and caverns by increasing pressure within underlying rock. This would include the 2023 disastrous earthquakes in Afghanistan, Turkey, Nepal, Ecuador and Morocco, which all have extensive cave and cavern systems. In the Himalayas, geologists have found that the frequency of earthquakes is influenced by the annual rainfall cycle of the summer monsoon season. The monsoon season is when the flooding rains come every year. Research shows that almost half of the Himalayan earthquakes strike during the drier pre-monsoon months of March, April and May, while only 16% occur in the monsoon season. This is the opposite of rain-filling caves and caverns, so what's going on? During the summer monsoon season, the weight of up to 4 metres of rainfall compresses the Earth's crust, both vertically and horizontally, which stabilises it. When the water dries out in the winter, 
making the water disappear into the air, the effective rebound destabilizes the region and increases the number of earthquakes. Climate models project an increase in the intensity of monsoon rainfall in southern Asia in the future as a result of climate change. This may enhance the winter rebound and cause more severe earthquakes more often. A pyroclastic flow is an extremely hot chaotic mixture of rock fragments, gas and ash that travels tens of metres per second away from a volcanic vent or collapsing flow front. Pyroclastic flows can be extremely destructive and deadly because of their high temperature and fast movement. In 2021, an eruption at one of Indonesia's most active volcanoes, Mount Semeru, caused ashfall, pyroclastic flows and volcanic mudflows that claimed the lives of at least 50 people. Local authorities hadn't expected the eruption to be so powerful. Indonesian experts said that several days of heavy rain had destabilised the dome of lava in the volcano's summit crater. This led to that dome collapsing, which reduced pressure on the magma below and triggered an eruption. Rain-influenced eruptions have also been proposed for other volcanoes around the world, such as the Kilauea eruption in Hawaii, the Sofriere Hills volcano in the Caribbean, and the Piton de la Fournaise on Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean. There are some geologists who oppose this view. Between 2000 and 2019, the world's glaciers lost around 267 gigatons of ice every year. Melting glaciers contribute to rising sea levels and more coastal hazards such as flooding and erosion. As the last ice age came to an end about 10,000 years ago, the thawing of heavy glacial ice masses caused parts of the Earth's crust to rebound upwards. This process, called isostatic rebound, is demonstrated by raised beaches in Scotland, some of which are up to 45 metres above current sea level. Evidence from Scandinavia suggests that such uplift, coupled with the destabilisation of the region's tectonic plates, triggered many earthquake events between 11,000 and 7,000 years ago. Some of these earthquakes even exceeded a magnitude of 8, which indicates severe destruction and loss of life. Scientists are concerned that the continued melting of glacial ice today could result in similar effects around the world. This phenomenon might be explained by the weight of glaciers compressing both the Earth's crust and the underlying mantle, which is the mostly solid bulk of the Earth's interior. This would keep the material that makes up the mantle under higher pressure, preventing it from melting and forming the magma required for volcanic eruptions. The idea is that the melting of the glaciers and the associated loss of weight on the Earth's surface allowed a process called decompression melting to occur, where lower pressure facilitates melting in the mantle. Such melting would have resulted in the formation of the liquid magma that fueled the volcanic activity in Iceland. Even today, this process is responsible for driving some volcanic activity in Iceland. Eruptions at two volcanoes, Grimsvörten and Katla, consistently occur during the summer period when glaciers retreat. The intense ash-producing eruption of Gleisland's Eja Fjalla Jökull volcano in 2010 was a result of an explosive interaction between hot magma and cold glacial meltwater. Based on what we know from the past, more ice melting in Iceland's glaciers could lead to larger and more frequent volcanic eruptions. The rapid movement of glaciers has also been shown to cause what are known as glacial earthquakes. Glacial earthquakes in Greenland peak in frequency in the summer months and have been steadily increasing over time, possibly 
in response to global warming. Climate change-induced drought can also be a factor in changes in stress loads on the Earth's crust that leads to earthquakes being more severe. Droughts cause the removal of a surface load as the soils dry out. In California, it's been observed that some of the seismic activity correlates with changes in surface loads from snow, snowmelt, and changes in the water content in soil and shallow rocks. Droughts can further deteriorate existing fault lines. The practice of pumping groundwater, as a precautionary measure taken during droughts, can put further pressure on the Earth's crust. A 2014 study looked at the effects of groundwater extraction in California's Central Valley on seismic activity on the nearby San Andreas Fault. The researchers found that these extractions can promote lateral changes in stress to both sides of the San Andreas Fault, which move horizontally against each other along the boundary of two major tectonic plates. This could potentially cause them to unclamp and slip, causing an earthquake. Research by the US Jet Propulsion Laboratory in 2017 found that alternating periods of drought and heavy rainfall in the Sierra Nevada between 2011 and 2017 actually caused the mountain range to rise by nearly an inch, or two and a half centimetres, and then fall by half that amount as the mountain rocks lost water during the drought, and then regained it when the drought broke. These changes in stress loads on the Earth's crust may be felt on faults in or near the range. Water stored in large dams has been linked to earthquake activity in various locations around the world, though the impact is usually localised. In 1975, about eight years after the construction of Northern California's Lake Oroville Reservoir behind the Oroville Dam, a series of earthquakes occurred nearby, the largest registering magnitude 5.7. The earthquakes happened shortly after the water in the reservoir was drawn down to its lowest level in order to repair intakes to the dam's power plant and then refilled. Several studies investigating the earthquakes concluded that the fluctuations in the reservoir level and corresponding changes in the weight of the reservoir changed the stress loads on a local fault, triggering the earthquakes. Monitoring of earthquake activity at the reservoir in the years following these quakes established a seasonal correlation between the reservoir's level of water and seismic activity. Seismic activity decreases as the reservoir fills in winter and spring, and the largest earthquakes tend to occur as the reservoir level falls in the summer and autumn. Climate change-induced severe storms can cause stronger earthquakes due to big changes in atmospheric pressure, which are often caused by hurricanes. These are known to result in slow earthquakes or baby earthquakes. Large storms like hurricanes can generate strong ocean waves, which themselves can interact with deep underwater features on the continental shelf and trigger something called storm quakes, which are equivalent to earthquakes greater than magnitude 3.5. In the Mediterranean region, the African and Eurasian tectonic plates are coming together at a rate of 4 to 5 millimetres per year. This is fast enough to create a magnitude 8.5 earthquake every thousand years and a magnitude 9.5 earthquake every 2,000 to 4,000 years. These earthquakes can create catastrophic tsunamis. There's evidence that an earthquake of magnitude 9.5 occurred near the island of Crete in 365 CE, 
As a result, the coastal area of the eastern Mediterranean was completely devastated by a tsunami. As well as fossil fuel companies causing climate change from the burning of fuel, which may affect earthquakes and volcanoes indirectly, the corporations are also directly causing earthquakes and volcanic eruptions by injecting water and gas into the ground. Induced seismic activity can occur when water injected into the ground by people causes a fault to be lubricated. Studies by the United States Geological Survey and other institutions have linked sharp increases in earthquake activity in Oklahoma and other Midwestern Eastern US states in recent years to increases in the practice of injecting wastewater into the ground during oil mining. Injection wells pump fluids underground into porous geologic formations at high pressure. Scientists believe these fluids sometimes enter buried faults that are ready to slip, changing the pore pressure on them and causing them to slip. Fracking involves injecting a high pressure mixture of water, sand and chemicals into shale layers to create fractures, opening pathways so that trapped natural gas in the shale can be extracted to be sold. The breaking of rock caused by both wastewater disposal and fracking regularly produces small earthquakes and tremors. Occasionally, the injection of fracking fluid or wastewater can cause movements in natural pre-existing geological faults, large cracks that already exist in the rock. These can trigger the release of loaded energy stored in the fault, in much the same way a skier can trigger the release of an avalanche. In the Netherlands, the largest gas field in Europe will be shut down by 2030 after sustained damage to homes from earthquakes became too severe to be ignored. In Oklahoma, US officials have severely curtailed operations after injection of wastewater underground caused several earthquakes above magnitude 5, one of which was nearly 180,000 times stronger than the 2.3 magnitude earthquake that brought a seven-year pause on fracking to the UK. Some of these earthquakes occur very near the fracking site itself, but others have been reported as far away as 50 kilometres making it difficult to guarantee the safety of surrounding areas. In a paper from 2019 called Fluid-Induced Aseismic Fault Slip Outpaces Poor Fluid Migration, the researchers found by experimenting in shallow geological faults that pumping water into these areas caused the rock along the fault lines to slowly slip. These silent movements didn't produce earthquakes at the initial point of slippage, but gradually increased the pressure on more distant parts of the faults, inducing earthquakes much further away from the borehole than the injected fluid could have reached. The research shows that by this mechanism, fracking can induce earthquakes tens of kilometres away. The authors suggest that in Oklahoma, where fracking is an established practice, millions may be at risk from property damage. Carbon capture and storage is the name given to fossil fuel company practice of releasing buried carbon dioxide gas as they mine, and collecting some of that gas to inject deep underground into porous rocks to flush out oil and natural gas for collection. Carbon capture and storage is the name given to the fossil fuel company practice of releasing buried carbon dioxide gas as they mine, and collecting some of that gas to inject deep underground into porous rocks to flush out oil and natural gas for collection. Governments join fossil fuel corporations in pretending that this addresses the carbon dioxide released by burning fossil fuel, 
even though the two are unrelated. Injecting carbon dioxide gas deep underground into porous rocks can also cause seismic activity since large volumes of injected fluids are required to balance the carbon dioxide reservoir, causing higher pressure within the reservoir. The dangers of injecting carbon dioxide are therefore similar to the dangers of injecting water. A volcanic eruption can lead to cooling or warming of the world, depending on the volcano's geographical location, the amount and composition of ash and gas that are erupted, and how high the plume reaches into the atmosphere. Volcanic injections that were rich in sulfur dioxide gas have had volcanic eruptions that were rich in sulfur dioxide gas have had the strongest climatic impact recorded in historic times. Sulfur dioxide eventually condenses to form sulfate aerosols in the stratosphere, and these aerosols reduce how much heat reaches the Earth's surface, causing cooling. Some people have suggested deliberately polluting the air with sulfur dioxide to block the sun in a similar way to volcanoes in order to cool the Earth enough that they can keep on burning fossil fuels as they always have. One problem with the idea is that sulfur dioxide causes acid rain, which accelerates the acidification of the oceans and contributes to the extinction of shelled animals that rely on calcium dissolved in the ocean water and all the fish that feed on them and the mammals and reptiles that feed on those fish. Blocking sunlight deliberately would also harm agriculture around the world, leading to a shortage of food. This makes it likely that any nation-state that decided on its own to block the sun in order to keep on burning fossil fuel would find itself at war with the rest of the world. The release of carbon dioxide from volcanic eruptions could contribute to global warming, if the eruption is huge. All studies to date of global volcanic carbon dioxide emissions show that present-day volcanoes release less than 1% of the carbon dioxide released by human activities in the modern day. While it has been proposed that intense volcanic release of carbon dioxide in the deep geologic past did cause global warming and possibly some mass extinctions, this is a topic of scientific debate at present. However, there's no question that very large volcanic eruptions can inject significant amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. The 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens vented about 10 million tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere in only nine hours. However, it currently takes humanity only two and a half hours to put out the same amount. As the climate warms, research shows that this will change how volcanic gases interact with the atmosphere. Importantly, the outcome won't be the same for all eruptions. Some scenarios show that in a warmer atmosphere, small to medium-sized eruptions could reduce the cooling effect of volcanic plumes by up to 75%. We could end up with either a terrible heating cycle that causes more volcanic eruptions that cause more warming, or we could be lucky and the volcanoes could cool the climate and slow down global warming. Or they could go too far and stop sunlight from reaching our crops. We just don't know. At present, we can predict where earthquakes and volcanoes are most likely to happen, but not when and not how severe. The research suggests that climate change may be making things much worse, and that this is why we're getting more of these devastating events than we used to. 
The research also shows for sure that the fossil fuel company practices of injecting water into the ground to get rid of waste, and injecting water into the ground to bring oil to the surface, and injecting water into the ground to frack to mine natural gas, are also inducing earthquakes directly. Carbon capture and storage relying on injecting carbon dioxide into porous rocks can cause more severe earthquakes. Putting restrictions on fossil fuel company practices and lowering our consumption of fossil fuel instead of continuing with a net zero business as usual approach is the way to prevent not only more severe weather, but also more severe earthquakes and volcanoes. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show if you enjoyed the show you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.